0: This is the Indie Dads Podcast. I'm Brian.
1: And I'm Malcolm.
0: And we're a couple of dads sharing our journey about bootstrapping our indie businesses while still prioritizing our young families. We believe that you can hustle and work hard to build a successful SaaS freelancer indie business while still being family first.
1: Join us as we share our learnings from building our businesses from scratch. Well,
0: hello. Hello. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing all right. And Brian, how are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. It's hard to believe. Well, in some ways, it's hard to believe it's been two weeks and others it's been it's gone by really quick. So pretty excited to be here again.
1: Yeah, it's amazing how time is flying. eh? Yeah. Did you have a good uh, Labor Day weekend?
0: I took my kids out to see Shang-Chi, the new Marvel movie, which is awesome. Highly recommend it. Nice. Um, it's like a bunch of kung fu and superhero movie m- mixed together. So that was fun. And uh, got a lot of work in. Give a little update about that. That was a pretty good two weeks. How about you?
1: Yeah, I think um, I don't think I got as much done as what I thought I would. Um, but interesting thing, because in my head, I was like, I didn't get anything done. And then in preparation for the podcast, I was like, well, i got to write down the stuff that I did so that I can report on it. And it's like wait I actually didn't do too badly I got a few things done so yeah your brain is an interesting thing in terms of what it remembers um you know with with being only busy on remote time in the evenings a few hours a week um uh, I actually found the other day I ran into a piece of the app that I'd completely forgotten I'd built and I was like wait I built
0: that (laughs) I had wow that's already done that's amazing Oh, nice! So, is it? It was something you were you were thinking about building, and then you realized it was already there.
1: Yeah, I don't know how I forgot about it. It's just in the back of my mind. I was like, oh, I was looking at a building. It's because it was kind of like a nice to have eye candy thing, and then I was like, oh, I've got to get around to building it sometime. And I just completely forgot about it. And then I was running the app, and it's some edge case, and I ran into. It, and it's like, oh, nice! <laughs> um, nice. So it's a pleasant surprise.
0: Cool. Well, speaking of remote time want't you walk us through how your your past two weeks have been what What uh, updates do you have for us?
1: yeah, so uh, I think what i mentioned last time was I was going to have a bit more of an effort into um just more marketing remote time and you know tr- trying to get involved in freelancer communities and reddit That's you know, not really something that I've done too much of um, but it turns out I didn't really have a lot of time to do that I was Busy with uh, bug fixes, I had two minor releases. And just so, by the way, date, time, stamps, and time zones are not my friend. Again, (laughs) it it seems I run into that on a regular basis in my developer career. But that was biting me again over the last two weeks and managed to figure out what was going on there. Um, I did some minor feature things, like we handle uh, exchange rates and consume an API for that. And I just, well, the thing is, if you it's, got, it's rate limited. So um, the more caching you can do in the app, the better. So I just added a little bit of a caching layer uh, to minimize the API calls doing exchange rate calculations. Um, but yeah, so, and then on the marketing side, I did not not do anything. Um, I actually ran a little bit of an experiment for the Indie Dads podcast and posted an article on a Reddit forum for SaaS builders. Um, just to see what that's like um, and it was pleasantly surprised at at the effect it had We had a nice bump in our numbers on that day um, and the feedback was really really good um, so I'm glad uh, there are other people like us and we keep running into them so as long as we get keep getting that good feedback, we'll keep making episodes um, so that was that was nice I think that that's a nice kind of like I guess the the Introvert in me was a bit worried about uh, telling people about what I'm doing on a public forum. Um, so that was a nice, easy way into that. I think I'm a lot more comfortable to to go in and 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 talk about side projects and things on other forums and you know, not not yeah. You know, it's it's always difficult because you know your motivation for doing that is besides. I mean, you know, you're doing freelancing and SaaS projects and things like that, and you want to be part of those communities, but Let's be real, part of your motivation of going in there is also to try and meet more people and get more eyes on the product that you're building. And there's the one side of that feels like, you know, you don't want to be self-promotional and it's, you know, it doesn't really work anyway on those communities. So it's striking that balance of being, giving back first. Um, so as part of that, one of the communities that I am involved in is, is the Xamarin developer community. Um, so I used that platform to create a, uh, a GitHub repository of um, Xamarin apps that are built by indie developers. Uh, tweeted that out, got a lot of good response there. Uh, I said, any indie Xamarin developers, if you want to submit, then feel free. And had uh, four or five submissions, which is which is really good. And trying to coax some others into, I think. I think I'm not alone in being shy about showing people what I built because it sometimes it takes some convincing to say, Listen, your your stuff is good. Post it, you know, put it on there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that was that was nice. and I've, the the spirit there was more or less um, you know when you're a mobile app developer, user acquisition is hard, and one of the things that really helps is is user reviews um or app store reviews. So that was just more of a, like a community of, of developers getting together and say, listen, you know, try out the app and use it. And if you think there's any value in there, let's help each other out and, and give each other some reviews um, without trying to be fake about it. I mean, don't just go in there and download it and give it a five-star review. That's that's not right. But, you know, download it and make, you know, if there's if there's value, then, then give it a review and you know, let's help each other out. And that's, uh, I, you know, in, in terms of that goal, it it was it didn't have that much of an effect, but it was it was nice to see a community of other indie developers um, actually respond, and I think it's probably easily my most engaged tweet that I've ever made. So it'll t- tell you something about how much my normal Twitter engagement is, but yeah, it was it was good to to get a bit more uh, get to know a bit more of my fellow developers out there building independent apps
0: so uh I have, a, I have a couple questions for you if you don't I, if you don't mind me interrupting your train of thought a little bit yeah because there's for, a lot going for. on there um first of all, you know reddit's an interesting place it's a sometimes a scary place because every community is is very different uh, the the way that people act and how yeah. welcoming how welcoming they are or aren't or negative they or positive they are um so I think that's why at least I'm a little intimidated by reddit but if you find the right community, it's also where a lot of people are. So you mentioned two things. One, you posted about Indie Dads in the SAS app, but we definitely saw a bump of, actually, I think that that was the, sorry, I think I said SAS app. I meant SAS subreddit. Um, And I think that was the biggest day of downloads that we've had for the podcast since we launched when you posted there. So that was pretty awesome to see very welcoming community there and a lot of questions and good comments on that. So, For anyone that's, uh, and I don't think that applies to just podcasts. As long as you're really trying to help, and that was the way that you worded the post, was that hey, we're like you, we are sharing our journey, we're not here to sell anything. People are pretty receptive, so maybe you know that's a good lesson to take away from for for marketing in general. If you're um, if you want to post on Reddit, don't try to sell just try to help. And hopefully you're building a product that can help. And, you know, that's one way to do, or just ask for legitimate feedback, not to try to get more users, but if you want legitimate feedback, turns out people are pretty willing to help each other. So that was kind of cool. And then the other thing you mentioned was you had a Xamarin, a subreddit post where you, is that right? Uh, You'd posted the Xamarin repo that you created in Reddit.
1: Yeah, What I, well, what I did was I, I created the repo and then uh, tweeted out that I'd created it and just mentioned some of the other kind of Xamarin community leaders on Twitter. So okay. if they retweeted, then they would uh, get uh, coverage there and that did fairly well. Yeah, so it wasn't a Reddit post, it was mostly yeah. on Twitter that, that all of that traffic came from.
0: So I thought that was an interesting experiment where you basically so there's all these lists on GitHub of like awesome this and awesome that it was is yeah. kind of like that where you're listing uh, all the Xamarin apps that, that indie makers have created in your repo is that right? That's correct. And so that was that was interesting because then you're kind of building community and sharing and get helping people get the word out and they appreciate that and so that was another example of just helping people. Turns out that that's a really great marketing approach.
1: Yeah, and I think the the thought process there is uh, I'm I'm building an indie app and I'm really struggling with with these specific things. So instead of going out and saying, Hey guys, I've built this app, please won't you go do an app store review? And it's like, well, there got to be other people that are struggling with this. So I actually did the same thing on Indie Hackers. I made a post there and I said, Listen, if you've got a mobile app, I know how hard it is. I will spend some of my time reviewing your app, downloading it and um, and uh, playing around with it f- for a while. And, you know, if there's value there, then I'll give it an honest review and help you get a bump in the ratings. Um, so I, I did that for all of the apps that were posted to the GitHub repo as well. Every one of them I downloaded and spent some, some of my own time on it and gave them reviews.
0: Cool. So that's an idea that maybe our listeners can try for whatever niche they're in. And that's a that's a great approach. I, I think, you know, as I'm listening to you and thinking about my own experiences and my own, you know, as an introvert, the challenges that I have with marketing, I think the two things that uh, get in my way is one, I don't want to sound or be like salesy, you know, the, yeah. the whole stereotypical sleazy sales type thing. Um, and most of the time you can just solve that by just get out there and help people with their problems. And then it's not Sale, selling it's just helping and if if you help them enough they're going to be curious about you and look up what you're about and then they're going to see the link to your product you know just get out there and be a community member and the other thing is of course the imposter syndrome not wanting to post because you feel like your app's not quite good enough yet or it's not worth sharing or people won't want to see it and i just keep reminding myself of the you know the the saying that real imposters don't get imposter syndrome they just they just think they're yeah. awesome they don't even realize it uh, that that they might be imposters. So if you feel imposter syndrome, you're not an imposter is basically what that boils down to so uh, people including myself especially myself need to not be so afraid of just sharing what you've learned even if it's or sh- sorry sharing what you've well I guess learned and created even if it's just half baked.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think the the imposter syndrome is is quite a um, a common thing. I mean, I I don't really feel that too much in the Xamarin community because I've I've been around the block quite a few times. But in terms of uh, freelancing and bootstrapping, I feel very new to that whole world. And you know, feel quite apprehensive about sharing things and being a part of those communities and feeling like I've got anything to to share or value. You know, it's like. Um, mm-hmm. But something that's really helped me over the years deal with that is I heard a quote that said something along the lines of uh, follow the scarecrows. So if you know you're someone that, that is that struggles with imposter syndrome, remember that the opportunities are where the scarecrows are. So the real clever crows know that if you follow the scarecrows, that's where all the good food is. <laughs> so if you if you find something that is making you afraid, nine times out of ten, that is the area that uh, is where the good opportunities are. So, uh, something that 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 I ran into with regards to that was changing jobs. Right. So uh, I'm I'm very loyal. I like long term strategy. I love building products. In you know, and I feel like I don't, I can't do that on six month contracts and things like that. So I I stay generally at at some at a place where I work for quite a while because I just you know, change is is scary and I love being part of the long-term strategy and offering value there over time. And when I started the Indie Hacker journey, I'd realized I need more time and spending an hour a day in commute, um, that is a really precious resource that I needed to get back. And the only way to do that was to find a job that didn't require me commuting. And, um, you know, so I can win back some of that time. And that was part of the decision, but you know, I kind of knew that, well, that's quite a, quite a scary thing to go from from one world, big traditional enterprise into freelancing world for a company that is on the other side of the earth. That's, if you haven't done that before, that's scary. But then the objective of me was on the side is like, well, if it's scary, it usually means that's going to be a good thing. So go for it. Discuss it with the wife first and then go. For
0: it. <laughs> yes. Uh, but how do you know if it's um, your intuition correctly telling you, no, that's a bad idea, that's dangerous versus it being something that you're just um, not sure of and avoiding it just because you're not familiar with it. And maybe it is the best thing for you, a scarecrow, like you said, ha- how do you distinguish? Because I think that there are some cases where it's like, well, I'm just going to quit my job and go full time. Um, some people have done that and it's been disastrous for them. And and that might've been, it might've looked like a scarecrow in their case. So how do you distinguish?
1: Yeah, I think it comes down to, and we all know when it's our own insecurities. So it's an internal fear that you're manufacturing or where it's real external fear. So there's real risks to this thing that you're about to do. Um, And if we're honest with ourselves, we know the difference, whether Mm -hmm. it's an internal fear that you're just trying to make up reasons why you shouldn't be doing something uh, versus an unreasonable amount of risk. Um, so if I was in a, you know, for example, a really high amount of debt and I didn't have any savings, um, then changing jobs to something that's quite risky would probably not have been on the table. And hence the speaking to the wife part, because I find that really helpful um, being married is my wife is my accountability partner. So when when I'm saying I'm going to quit my job, I'm going to take my savings, and I'm going to do this thing, then she says, "Well, you know, maybe just let it simmer for a week and see how you feel about it." I don't mm-hmm. think it's a great idea. And then, most often than not, um, you know, she brings some objectivity into it, so that really helps. So looking at analyzing your own fear, where that's coming from, and having an accountability partner, whether that's your wife or whether that's a friend that you know really well that understands the world that you're living in, because I think that's the other difficult part is, as indie hackers. Um, in my life, anyway, there's very few people that understand that world. Um, this is where the online community is helpful, but then how well do they know you? So it's it's really a trick and hopefully something we can cover more in depth in a future episode is like where do you find that accountability and how do you take someone with you on that journey because i think it's really important
0: yeah i love it and i love the analogy of the scarecrow i'm definitely going to be using that in um, the coming weeks here it's good good way to think about it
1: yeah so so how about you Brian?
0: oh well um you had a, oh, an yeah. eventful
1: last two weeks eh?
0: <laughs> it's been a busy couple of weeks i don't know if you noticed my shirt but I, i'm i'm even repping one of the things that i shipped yeah <laughs> <laughs> So I launched something. I last episode said that I was going to launch Mm -hmm. a new project and I did. And uh, it was a really intense couple of weeks. Um, At the end of the first week, I actually kind of referenced being pretty close to burnout on Twitter. Um, I have a newsletter that I send out every Sunday and I woke up Sunday morning after working all week, late nights, early mornings, all day, every thought. You know, uh, aside from the time that I spent with my family was was on this project, just trying to get something shipped, partly because I said I would, but also because it was exciting and fun. Um, And I just realized Sunday morning, uh, I just I need a break. I'm sure that some people will be disappointed, but like, let's be honest, nobody sits there waiting for my newsletter to come through. So I sent a message out to my newsletter subscribers and said, hey, I, I need a break. And maybe you do, too you know, consider whether, whether yeah. today is a good day for you to take a break. And I just turned off my phone and everything and, and shut it down. Um, all electronics were off for the day and it felt great. And then I got back to it, uh, actually Sunday night by some, by the evening, I felt like I was ready to go again and I got it shipped. So technically I launched it at the end of the first week. Like I said, I was going to, and so I got a, basically an MVP version launched, but it didn't have any articles, Written uh, because nobody was using it, obviously. So that's why I didn't announce it. Uh, and then I spent the, the next few days uh, writing some articles uh, that to kind of uh, both showcase what it could do and also get some thoughts that I've had out there. Last week or last episode, we talked about ugly babies, and I
1: created yep. a post about my remember. take
0: on that and uh, posted it. And I I posted a few of those articles without announcing and. Um, Got a few hits on it, and that was kind of to test the waters to make sure the thing didn't fall apart. If I were to announce it, and, and a few more people would go, uh, and then I announced it, and um, got a pretty pretty good reception. A lot of people are really uh, excited about the idea, at least on Twitter. And this is the whole premise of the Mom Test. You know, everyone will tell you it's a good idea. Yes. So yes, we'll see exactly. if they actually use it. Uh, but at, at a minimum, I'm using it. So um, we got a few. People that have signed up, a few test uh, blogs that have been posted, and we're just going to keep working on that. I think with this product, it's kind of a long game because, uh, at least in my mind, the best way to market a blog platform is through blog articles and SEO and the network effects, and that just takes time. So my plan with that is to, um, I'll keep chipping away at features. I'll, I'm going to try to blog every day or two, uh, a meaningful article, not just filler stuff. And, uh, we'll see where that goes.
1: So I know you were, you were struggling with the, with the pricing model for minimal. Um, you kind of went in one direction and then you changed tack a little bit halfway through. Can you, can you talk us to us a little bit about that?
0: Yeah. It was a, another, um, I should have realized, I should have known, but it's something that I think so many of us make in terms of mistakes. You get so excited and so in love with your idea that you think as soon as I launch this thing and I get eyeballs in front of it and I market it successfully to the right people, everyone's going to want to sign up. And, um, yeah. it, you know, and so <laughs> I, I launched it with, um, really basic pricing. It was uh, per month or per year, Pricing with a discount, of course, for the annual plan, and um, no freemium plan because I'm an indie maker. I have costs, and it's coming out of my yes. pocket. It's coming out of my savings account right now. Um, so I, I really figured I, you know, I can't really um, afford to make it free for everyone. But if there are people that are passionate about the concept of a, a minimalist a really lightweight blog and they are excited by it. Well, maybe I'll get a few subscribers to help me pay for my server costs, which are as of right now, about 50 bucks a month uh, because I beefed it up a little bit. It doesn't have to be that expensive, but I beefed it up just to make sure that on the first day it didn't crash. Um, so I could, I could bring those back down, but it's, you know, it's definitely losing money right now. But yeah. then I quickly realized, you know what? <laughs> Of course, nobody's going to pay for this. They, why would they, they don't know what it's all about yet. They don't trust the the product because it's brand new. They hardly know me. So like, I would, I don't blame them for not totally trusting me blindly. Um, so I do need to offer, well, and there are so many other alternatives out there with more features. Yes. I do need to offer some sort of freemium option for this type of product. Uh, I'm not saying that every product needs to, but for this type of product I did. So I said I would take the weekend. I got super excited and in, in flow and I actually got it done in a few hours and oh, uh, nice. shipped it, shipped the freemium version that night. Uh, so it's out there now. You can get a free personal blog. There are some limitations that I'm reserving for um for the you know future kind of paid plans, but I mean all the all the main features are there. You can create a, a blog, you get a personal address. Uh, so minimal.blog slash at whatever is your blog. You can post as many articles as you want. All that stuff isn't limited because I want to encourage people to try it, to write, yeah. to publish things, yeah. to use it. Uh, but then, in, you know, I'll, I'll, figure out what people want, uh, figure out pe- what people appreciate and value and what the kind of premium features are after people start using it instead of trying to guess what they were before. And that's where I went wrong.
1: Yeah. So now you've done something very interesting because you started out with Freelance Sugar and you spent a significant amount of time in there. Um, Now you have um, Mm Minimal.blog, which is probably an easier onboarding for users because it's just writing articles, right? There's no big investment in deciding what freelance product you're going to use. So where is your head at in terms of your usage of your time. And I guess this goes into the, our, our topic for the week is like, how do we manage our time? How do we split it? Then one of the main decisions is if you've got a couple of side projects, how do you decide where do you follow the customers, where they get most excited? Where's, where's,
0: what's your thoughts on that? Well, I'm going to answer that. I'm going to turn it around on you because you reminded me of a question that I had for your update regarding this. But um, as I kind of mentioned a little bit ago, I think, a blogging platform and marketing that or any blog, you've got to play the long game. You're not going to get a a ton of features or excuse me, a ton of users all of a sudden, even if you write an article that appears at the top of Reddit or wherever or hacker news, it's just going to be a flood and then it's going to drop off a cliff. And then you're, you might have a few new users that stick around, but uh, it's this kind of cycle or you write a lot of really good evergreen type posts and then you let them bake and then eventually the SEO starts building and then 6 months from now you have some good steady traffic from these posts and that's what I'm going to have to do and so obviously I don't want to just sit around for 6 months and write articles I do you know every 8 hours a day every day um there are other things I could do to market it um but and, I, and I'll experiment with those but for the most part I'm going to be writing maybe an article a day or uh, article every other day something like that The rest of my time, I'm free to work on other things. And so I can now decide, do I want to go back to, well, I have a few options. I can either go back to the freelancer project and work on that while I work on marketing the blog, you know, minimal.blog, or I can... Do market work on marketing both. I got I have to figure out the whole marketing for freelancers stuff, which I really should be doing anyway. I shouldn't just build it and then start marketing. I should market while I'm building or I can work on minimal features while I work on minimal blogging and marketing or I can work on something new. Um, So I've got to figure that out. I think that's what I'll be working on this week is figuring that out. I do kind of have the itch to go back to the freelancing part now that I've had some, well, I've had a win with this product that I've shipped, which feels really good. Um, so I'll be, I'll be figuring that out. I think that's what I'll be working on over the next two weeks. The question I wanted to ask you though, unless you have any follow-up questions is what your thoughts are on either batching the marketing work and doing uh, say a day of marketing and then a day of development or a week of marketing or a week of development or just doing it as things come up or what are, what are your plans or and thoughts in terms of how to do that so that you don't just keep putting off the marketing which for us developers is not as fun as yeah. building
1: that, that's an interesting question and it, it ties in a little bit to where I want to go with remote time as well is that that is probably number two or three on on the product backlog is to bring in um, like categories or tags to the things that you're doing because from a purely theoretical point of view i would like to split my time between developing and marketing so i know i've got to keep shipping new features to make remote time more unique and more easily marketable so i I can't not do any features and bug fixes so i have to maintain it which are the bugs i have to create new features um and then I also have to market it. So ideally I would come up with some sort of uh, percentage split. So uh, it's fairly stable. So maybe 20% bug fixes, uh, 50% um, new feature development, because you know I have such little time, I need that significant chunk to be able to do something of any value in the product. And then the rest of the time on marketing. Um, the nice thing about the marketing is it kind of, you know, it's a lot easier just to dive into uh, a Reddit forum when you're on lunch. And um, to go uh, read up and give feedback and kind of get your feet wet in the, in that world. So that's ideally. The other aspect of it is what do I have energy for? And I think when you've already put in a full day's work and you've dealt <laughs> with three kids shouting and screaming and this one hasn't done their homework and they've got tests to do and uh, the missus is not feeling well. So you've got to pick up the, the, the slack and. Then you get to your desk at 10 o'clock in the evening, you know, maybe I don't feel like doing some parts like bug fixing, whatever it is. So a lot of the times for me, it's that my energy will determine where I feel like I can contribute the best time. But then in the back of my mind, I kind of try and keep myself accountable to that ideal percentage splits that I want to achieve. Um, So the, the way I generally handle things is I will have those kinds of goals. But I won't beat myself up over the head if I don't meet them exactly, because I know that you know before all of before everything else, my health and my family come first. So if it means I'm not going to have energy, then just don't do it. You know, either take a rest day or work on something that does give you energy. Which, unfortunately, as a developer, most of the time that means building new stuff and not telling anybody about it. But <laughs> um, I, I, I think now that that the reality is that uh, I've, I've got this this chunk of time that I've, it's up to me when I use it. Um, but yeah, that's, that's more or less what the, what the thoughts are there.
0: Um, let me ask you a difficult question. Do you think that you can get to the point where you are, where you're at quote, good enough with your product, where you can do, you you keep that 10 to 20% bug fixes or maintenance and then spend the 80% of your time marketing?
1: Yeah, I think that that is definitely the case there. There is certain uh, stages in your product lifecycle where you've got to kind of like adjust those percentage limits that I was talking about. So it's not a hard and fast 30, 20, 50 split. Um, You have to kind of gauge where you're at. I think where remote time is now, there's not, not anything significantly unique about it that I can completely forego the feature building.
0: Hope you don't mind me putting you in the hot seat but I uh no go I think it's really interesting and uh this is mostly a devil's advocate question but um why not let your users tell you what you should you what you should build to distinguish it why not spend time marketing and getting users even if you're not different right now um, in order to have them tell you what they need to make it unique
1: yeah so so on the one hand I'm not completely not doing any marketing so there is definitely that trying to get user feedback in fact that's part of my two weeks thing feedback that i left out as i uh, i have an accountability partner that i meet with another indie hacker every two weeks and i kind of forced him to go through the onboarding of the app and he probably found being a developer found every bug that i didn't <laughs> know of that is in there but that's like actively seeking out user feedback and getting opinions on what do you think should be next Um, so there there is a little bit of that Uh, and I think also it depends on what kind of product you're building so if you are not your own customer like you're building something in a market that you don't really know a lot about you just see market opportunity then that becomes way more important but being a freelancer myself and knowing what other products out there are doing and what I find valuable in terms of um, not being micromanaging and reporting on the hourly tasks, but getting more of a a feedback on um, how well am I spending my time and getting that feedback loop with whoever you're freelancing with. Uh, I know that I'm going to build. That's the kind of product that I want to build. And I'm hoping that other freelancers will feel the same. In fact, I'm banking on that they will because I don't think there's a lot of native user experience products out there that focus more on the feedback part, rather than the reporting and you know, playing big brother on your time, where remote time it's kind of like an oxymoron because it's it's tracking your time, but it's trying to do that in a way that uh, is developing healthy conversations between you and the person you're working for, and I feel very strongly that reporting on the hours that a specific task took is not healthy for for. Um, for discussions, more on how well did you spend your time on on achieving product goals. So I think once those features are in there, and, and I think the indie hacker in me also, you know, I'm, I'm a type personality, I, I target like 30 or 40 hours a month for indie hacking, and I want remote time to track that, and I want to be able to hit that goal at the end of the month. Um, so like full disclosure, I'm still using Excel. To do that for me, so it's like <laughs> just for my own sanity, I want to get off Excel. And when I'm off Excel and I'm using Remote Time to do that, then I know, well, okay, well, this is this is something that I want to tell other people about now, and and spend more energy on doing that.
0: Well, cool. Any other um, updates before we uh, move into the next topic we had?
1: No, I think that's about it. So as we as we go into we talk about time management, uh, Brian. Do you want to take us through how has that changed for you from being having a full time job and being really passionate about products and side projects and things like that and managing family time? I mean, you've got five kids, so that that's. I'm pretty sure that that you want to you know make sure that each one of them feel like they're important, and but you've you've got this really passionate hobby or um, ambition that 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 needs a lot of time, so. How did you do it when you had a full-time job? And how has that changed since you've decided to go full-time on Indie Hacking?
0: Yeah. Well, um, I've always wanted my family, of course, to be first. And I always told myself that it was family first when I had my full-time job. And I tried to treat it that way. But the reality was, if I didn't have a job, if I lost my job because I wasn't paying enough attention to it, That would impact my family pretty heavily. So a lot of times I think my job, my full-time job did take priority, unfortunately, over family when there were things going on that I would have preferred to participate in. Maybe, um, you know, one of my kids was in some activity that I wanted to go watch, some sport activity or something like that. And I couldn't because I had a work thing. Um, That was a little frustrating. It was a lot frustrating. Um, But I always did the best that I could to make family first. However, now that's completely flipped around where, um, it's actually easy to put family first now that I've gone full-time remote or full-time working on my own thing. And I have to be careful to not let time slip away on the side projects and the other things that I'm working on, because it's, it's fun to hang out more with the family and to leave in the middle of the day to go, you know, have lunch with a kid at school or, do run some errand. Um, I'm more able to help with, you know, driving kids around after school to all their activities. Whereas before, you know, it was my wife who had to be the taxi and now we can kind of split that up more and do it a little easier. Um, The flip side of that is that I lose track of time really quick. And and I always thought, boy, when I go full-time, I'm going to have so much time. I'm going to be able to move so fast and get so much done. (laughs) And I'm never going to burn out because I'm going to be working on the fun stuff. I'm going to be working on what I want to work on only and not any of the silly meetings that I have to go to and things like that. And that's mostly true, but burnout is definitely still possible. Um, I I experienced that, as I mentioned, on my own project because even though it was fun and it was exactly what I wanted to be doing – I worked so many hours in that that's brain work. I mean, it's like solving yeah. math problems yeah. or puzzles basically all day. Um, and so I had to keep an eye on that. And I think that was a, an important lesson for me there. It won't solve all your problems. Once you go full time, it won't so- solve the burnout problem. It won't solve the prioritization problem or any of that other stuff. You still have to manage your time. And, and uh, that's been kind of the challenge for me, the adjustment waking up every morning and going, I could work on everything on everything or anything, but i could also end the day with not much to show for it if i don't if i just wing it so yeah. i'm still back to having to you know plan my day think through what is going to have the most impact on my future my future my plans my goals all that stuff it still all comes into play um, so it's a little it's definitely easier i love it but uh it's just a different set of problems have you
1: had to set up any boundaries with your family in terms, cause like dad's home all the time now. So that means we can tell him about the latest Mandalorian episode and, um, you know, ask him what he thinks for half an hour. And then five minutes later, child number two comes in and says, Hey dad, did you see this thing that I drew? How how do you, have you had to manage that with your family yet?
0: Well, the, the nice thing is that the pandemic, forced me to work from home while I was working full time for a good year before I went full time on my own. And so that transition was a little easier. It's basically, if my door's open, I, I have this office that it's kind of dedicated to where I work. If the door's open, you're welcome to come in. There's a couch in here. You can sit down, hang out. We can chat. If I need to go heads down and really focus on something, I just close the door. And they know if the door's closed, Dad's focusing. And so I try to keep it open as much as I can. Um, And so I kind of use that, I guess, uh, as the way to signal where I'm at.
1: Yeah, I think that's really helpful if you have a dedicated workspace. Um, I think if you've got your desk set up in the bedroom or in the lounge or somewhere public, then that's a lot more of a challenge. Uh, So we actually converted uh, what used to be an, an external room uh into my office and we just broke through the door there so that we can access it from inside the house and that made a world of difference working from home. And very similar, you know, if they know if, if the door's closed, then if it's urgent they can knock and I'll ask what it's about. But they know, you know, if it's not important, then come back later when the door's open. Um, and not
0: everybody has that luxury, I realize. So and the other yeah. way that I've done it in the past when I haven't had that luxury is headphones. Uh, I, I explain to my kids, if my headphones are on, it's not because I'm enjoying music, it's because I'm trying to focus. That is how you know that I'm focusing on something. And so I use that just like the door. Headphones on, dad's focusing, headphones off. You know, it's fair game. It's another option. Yeah,
1: I've I've seen some of these IoT geeks uh, wire up uh, a red and <laughs> green light outside the office door with mm-hmm. a button that they can push. That would be really cool. I wish I had time to to build something like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think in terms of time management, um, a quote that I came across really early on when I started getting serious into the indie hacking thing was from a former CEO of Coke, Brian Dyson. Um, And he said, imagine life as a game in which you are juggling some five balls in the air. You name them work, family, health, friends, spirit, and you're keeping all of these things in the air. You'll soon understand that work is a rubber ball. If you drop it, it will bounce back. But the other four balls, family, health, friend, and spirit, are made of glass. If you drop one of these, they will be irrecoverably scuffed, marked, nicked, damaged, or even shattered. They will never be the same. You must understand that and strive for balance in your life. And that really struck a chord with me. Um, You know, I always, when I went to job interviews from really early on, I made it very clear how important my family was to me. And I said, you know, if you hire me, don't expect me. To be working ridiculous overtime hours. I mean, if there's an emergency, I'll do that, but I'm, I'm, I'm not one of these guys that's going to be spending 16 hour days all the time because you're under pressure all the time. So just being very clear about your objectives from the get go um, and understanding what balls you can drop and what balls you can't. Um, you know, and maybe for, for each person that'll be a bit different, but I think definitely for us that, you know, your family and your health. Um, those are really things that need to keep going to give you longevity and and um give you a purpose.
0: I love that quote, and I think it um it also extends to your work life as well um in terms of managing stress and in terms of managing expectations. It's the same thing at work, just like in your the balance between work and and personal life, like you just described if you think about it just at work you've also got glass balls and rubber balls that you're juggling and some of those work those tasks that you've been given at work are rubber balls and you should be okay with letting those drop if they're not yeah. going to make or break you at work and you have to get good at letting those drop in order to, in order to manage your own stress because stress you know is brought home whether you whether you try to or not or whether you try not to or not um, you end up bringing work stress home with you. and so it's really important to not only do that in your personal life and balancing you know the glass balls and the rubber balls between personal and, and work life, but also do it at work or maybe even with your family when you're talking with your kids or they do something that drives you crazy. Maybe that's mm-hmm. a rubber ball that you can just let go and it's just not worth you know getting upset over or maybe if it's something like you know really important. Um, being honest, for example, telling the truth, not stealing, all those sorts of things. Those are the glass balls that you really should get after your kids for. So I think that analogy is fantastic and it applies to so many different areas.
1: Yeah. And and about the same time, I think it was between 2013 and 2015 where I started to get really serious about doing something and turning an indie side project into a full-time job. Um, I was playing golf quite regularly and even though I'm an introvert um it was something quite fun for me to do was just sign up for a four ball on a saturday morning just on my own and be paired up with three random guys and the thing about golf is i think mostly it's like semi retired older gentlemen who um you know have finally found some free time to do the thing that they love and something that really struck me having conversations with these um, older men was the regret that they had in, you know, they they're successful. They're driving nice cars. They've got a big family homes, but they would talk about all the time that they've missed with their children and all the time that they've missed looking after their health. You know, a lot of them have got knee problems and wrist problems and they're doing the thing that they love, but they're seriously handicapped because they didn't look after themselves in their younger days. So I guess all of that came together, um, for me and just made me realize, um, you know, and and my folks as well are, are not that healthy. My father's a diabetic and asthmatic, um, and he's really struggling in his old age. And that's as a result of not investing time in his health when he was younger. So I guess all of that came together for me and just really made me very like hard on what, what is important and what, what balls I'm not prepared to let drop. Um, so yeah, as, as somebody who's still working full time. Initially, it was a full-time job plus an hour commute. Uh, so that was something that was quite, uh, you know, eight away at the time. So I figured for a limited amount of time, I was willing to, and obviously I had a, this conversation with my wife, to say, well, I would be working evening. So I've got to figure out the sleep thing because um, at least that's, I'm not digging into anybody of my family's time. So I'd, for sure, I can, I can carve an hour or two out of my sleep time um, and then i was working saturday mornings i think most of saturdays as well and i was getting about probably 50 to 70 hours a month worth of work the sleep thing was interesting um, generally normally before i would i would be in bed by say 10 half past 10 in the evening and i thought well i got to get some extra hours in and I, I did a bit of an experiment of how many hours of sleep i actually needed so that was quite fun for a while. I think I went down to five hours a night at one point. And then I wow. discovered when I was at work and if the conversation wasn't really interesting, I would be <laughs> kind of <laughs> nodding off to much to the bemusement of my of my work colleagues. Um, but when that was happening, I was like, okay, that's that's too much. And um, so I, I, after a bit of experimentation, I figured anywhere between six and seven hours of sleep, I'm um, I'm still okay. I've got energy. And I can win some of that back over the weekend. Um, it also wasn't right off the bat. that it, it There was a lot of, probably for about three months, I would get to that 10 o'clock in the evening. You know, I've, you've trained your body your whole life that that's when you go to bed. So now to push that out by another two hours or three hours, um, your body says no. <laughs> you feel really tired. So it was really... Very much a discipline thing of like, okay, I'm going to go sit at my desk now. And it didn't really help that my wife and I, in the evenings, we generally settle down. Um, we've got a TV in our room. So we we sit in the bed and it's nice and warm and we will like watch an episode or something. So it's really easy to feel tired in that setting. So there was a lot of disciplines like, okay, it's 10 o'clock now. This is very specific time. I'm going to go sit and I'm, I know I'm really tired. I want to sleep. And usually within 10 or 15 minutes, I feel okay. But it takes a lot of discipline to do that regularly. And I found after about two or three months, my body reprogrammed itself and I was ready to go. And, you know, now I don't feel tired until about one in the morning. So that that carried on for probably about two years. And uh, my wife and I had had that uh, discussion on it being a limited amount of time. And she was being the accountability partner that she should be and said, well, How long do you see this going on because saturday is prime family time and you know you end up spending saturday working and then the sunday which is supposed to be a rest day and family day you're catching up on all the chores that you normally do on a saturday so what's going on here so that kind of like led me to a decision point on okay maybe some things have changed how do i hack my time and so one of them was the job which i talked about earlier um to going to a fully fully remote job freed up time to be a lot more flexible, uh, not commuting at all, and then I, I went back to spending family time on the weekends. So yeah, that's that's it. I think um, when we get to our, our feedback, what we intend to do over the next two weeks, uh, I'm gonna try and, and get a bit more into the into marketing remote time this time on maybe an experiment on a Reddit forum somewhere and. Uh, get a bit more involved there and I want to get into the features of like uh, that will help me get rid of my Excel spreadsheet so that's uh, time targets um, for each so I have a client set up for my side projects and I have a client set up for my actual day job Um, you know and I have to do about 40 hours a week for that so if I can do that inside remote time that'd be great so I'm going to see if I can get a basic version working out in the next two weeks how about you Brian?
0: Okay. Uh well really quick so you you kind of mentioned what you're going to do feature wise. Can you quantify the marketing part a little bit more? It feels a little bit nebulous.
1: Yeah, so so I did mention so for me that's that's going to be involved in in and in going onto Reddit community forums and making posts there and and trying to give back first. Um and then I will kind of suss out the momentum there and actually post uh, there, there is a specific Reddit um, side projects where you are encouraged to self-promote and tell people about the thing that you're building. So I'm going to start there, um, post remote time there and try and get some good feedback. And then depending on how that goes, um, see where that leads to.
0: Okay. So run some, basically run some experiments on Reddit and then you'll come back and let us know how that went. Yeah. Cool. Uh, I'll try to be... I'll try to quantify mine a little bit too because they're also a little bit vague. Um, the easy one is I want to write, obviously use minimal.blog more, uh, dog food it. So at a minimum I'm going to write between now and the next time we record five decent sized as in not necessarily number of words, but good thought put into. So five blog articles, uh, I'll post those on, obviously the blog and on Twitter, if anyone's following and wants to see what, what I have to, to say, I guess. Um, and then I need to figure out what's next. So marketing blogging, that's part-time. What am I going to do for the other, I would say three quarters of the time that I have, um, that's yeah. either going to go back to freelancing, the freelancing project. However, uh, I'm going to, um, really trim down the scope. This three week launch that I did really changed the way I'm thinking about launching and getting stuff out there. The hard part is there's a bunch of, of invoicing apps already out there. So it's the same problem that you have. How do I get people to yeah. even use it if it's the same as everyone else? So I'll, I'll figure that out in this first week by the end of this week. And then next week I'll work on building whatever that thing is. And uh, by the end of that week, I will have it scoped, so I'll know how long the first release will take me. I'll have that uh, to report back on next next podcast episode. And um, then I'll be able to kind of quantify what, or actually not quantify, but uh, commit to when I'm going to launch the next thing that I'm building. And I'll also be going to MicroConf Portland next week. Ooh, so that nice. is uh fly out on Tuesday, I think we attend on Wednesday and uh, I'll fly back on, on Thursday and it's, it's meant to be local. So it's not like something that the people are expected to fly in for, but I was so excited to get back into the swing of things. Mm-hmm. So I'll be going to that, which will cut into some of my time, but I'll, I'll bring back a little report on that and share how that went as well. So the last thing we've got uh, for today is we mentioned in, in our last episode that we want to do a little spotlight of fellow indie parents And the uh, experiences that they're having, the journeys that they're going through, and their products. And, uh, you know, we may be the ones with the mics, but we know there's a lot of others out there that are just like us. And we wanna give you each an opportunity to introduce yourselves, give a little plug for what you're working on. And so this last week, Danny from Boston wrote in after episode two. um, Here's what he said. I'm just gonna actually read his email, um, and it kinda talks about where he's coming from and what his product is. So he says from an aspiring indie dad, I just wanted to say thanks for doing your podcast. I've listened to the first two episodes and I'm really excited to hear about your journeys in launching your products. I'm a web developer with two young boys, ages six and four. It's always been important to me to be as involved as possible with them. So I relate to a lot to both of you. I have a day job and I'll probably plan to keep that, keep it that way as it allows me to a lot of freedom on my side projects. I launched my first product about a year ago, which is BetterMorningReading.com. It's an app that sends you a chapter of a book in the morning. The idea originally was to replace my morning social media habit with classic literature. I've learned so much from the process that that really resonates with what you've discussed so far. Building it isn't enough. Marketing is hard, and honest feedback is elusive. I can tell you the number of people who tell me it's really cool, but then don't sign up. And the number of little things sitting between ninety-five percent and a hundred percent is endless. I'm now working on my second project called Gamify, which is at gamifyhq.com, which is a SaaS product aimed at at allowing developers to easily add points, levels, rewards, and other gamification features to apps and websites. I'm applying many of the lessons I learned the first time around, namely, he's got three bullet points here, things that he's learned. One, aggressively seek out and use free plans from vendors, namely Netlify, free tier, other expenses. I think he's referring to things like hosting um, and keeping expenses at $0 for way longer uh, this time around. Number two, use a component library for front-end instead of doing it all original designs. Generally reuse as much as possible, make the most of limited time. And then number three, build an audience before and while shipping the MVP, which for me, or for him, Means posting some use case studies about how other apps are gamified. Wishing you the best of luck on your products and the podcast as well. And that's awesome, Danny. Thank you for sharing that. I really like this because um, although he does. Um, you know, mentioned his products. He took the time to mention and to go over what he's learned, which I think are great yeah. points. You know, the first one I am guilty of as well. I was so excited to just get started. I I started paying for stuff way before I needed to, and now it's like, okay, now I've got these monthly expenses. I'm not making any money. I'm I'm actually I like to joke that I'm not self-employed right now. I'm unemployed because I'm not making any money, and so this is wise yeah. of Danny to to mention. You know, using. Uh, as many of the free things as you can before you start spending money on whatever you're building.
1: Yeah, for sure. I, I think um, there there is sometimes an implication there on cost. Uh, like I went that route. Everything I'm using is completely free up until a certain point when you start paying. So, but where that did cost me was in terms of the time for implementation because maybe those products weren't as simple as the ones that you would pay for. So when you're doing that analysis for anybody that's listening, just be aware that, that it's somewhere along the line. You've got to balance those
0: two things. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, thanks, Danny, for writing in. If you'd like to be featured on the podcast, if you have something that you're working on, uh, tell us about yourself, tell us about your family, tell us about your product, and we'll, uh, we'll pick a few and we'll share them on future episodes. So to wrap up the best part, I know the part that everyone's been waiting for the dad jokes <laughs> this week. I'll go first. Cause I'm pretty sure yours is better than mine. Um, I had some help. I asked my daughter what her favorite dad joke was. And she, she uh-huh. I was pretty proud cause she rattled off quite a few. Actually. She had a so whole nice. repertoire of them. Uh, but the one that actually made me laugh that I've, I've heard before, but I still, it still makes me laugh. We'll see if you get it. Okay. What's blue and smells like red paint. Blue no. paint.
1: <laughs> <laughs> of course, of course <laughs> oh, no. I, I thought
0: that was pretty good So kudos to my daughter for that one
1: <laughs> Well done, well done Yeah, so uh, as for mine um, You know in, in, in Star Wars At the end of Order 66 That Yoda went into exile And um, he spent quite a while there while, uh, Until Luke found him a bit later Do you have any thoughts on what he was doing That whole time? Did you know that he was actually uh, sheep farming? And do you know what sound the sheeps made? Um, I don't. They go, by.
0: Oh, gosh. So <laughs> you have to be an insider, a Star Wars nerd to get that one. And I totally do. But uh, now I'm, I'm guessing that there are some people that don't. So explain that one.
1: Yeah, so so the planet that Yoda was exiled on for those many years, the name of the planet was Dagobah. <laughs> but it's that's also good. the sound that his sheep make.
0: <laughs> and I'm sensing a theme here. That I think that's two weeks in a row where you've done a Star Wars dad joke.
1: Yeah, I, I'm going to have to switch it up next week.
0: All right. Well, I think that's it for this week. We'll be back in two more weeks, and we'll talk to you then. Yeah. See you.
1: Goodbye. If you enjoyed this episode and you want an easy way to support us, we'd love it if you reviewed this podcast on whichever platform you're using to tune in. If you'd like to ask a question, you can send us an email to hello at indydads.com or message us directly on Twitter. You can also find us at IndieDads.com where you can see show notes, links to our Twitter profiles and product websites. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time.